this is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. Amen and thank you, choir. What a great reminder that when we place our faith and our hope and our trust in the Lord, we will not be shaken because he will not be shaken. Uh, just a, a fantastic reminder for a Sunday morning. I ask that you just go ahead and open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. Uh, we're going to be in Acts 2 this morning. Uh, let me just say that I'm honored to come before you guys this morning and to be able to worship through the preaching of the Word with you guys. And I will say, it, I, I'm, I'm really thinking about that old adage uh, this morning, especially. Even a chicken looks like an eagle when he's sitting in the right nest. And so uh, that's what I feel like this morning. Um, and, and I'm just so grateful for, for Pastor and, and for letting uh, me fill in, even, uh, even though he's sick. But we will be in Acts chapter 2 this morning. And uh, let me just say that our students are, are moving through the book of Acts. And it's been really refre- a refreshing series for me as we've been able to, uh, to really just kind of trim the fat and get back to what the church uh, is really supposed to look like. And we see that in Acts uh, Especially, and so it's been really refreshing. Um, the book of Acts begins really with the disciples kind of gathered around, waiting on the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit, who was promised to come, and they're and they're waiting. And after Jesus was resurrected, he spent forty days with his followers, really teaching them about the kingdom. They're asking questions, they're dialoguing with Jesus. He's teaching them, but they were told something curious to me, at least, that they were not to depart that they were not to, to go. But if you remember the end of the book of Matthew, what happened? The Great Commission happened, right? Jesus told them to go and to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so he told them to go, but then he's like, wait a second. You guys stay put for a little bit. Wait for the Holy Spirit to come. It's kind of, kind of funny that he asked them to do that after he told them to go, because you can imagine they're probably chomping at the bit. They're probably raring to go, ready to go do what Jesus uh, called them to do. If you remember, Jesus was just uh, killed on the cross, buried, and then rose again. And so they're, they're just chomping at the bit. But he tells them to wait. And he tells them to wait because if they were to attempt to, to carry out the mission of God without the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus knew that it was going to be fruitless for them. If they were going to do things in their own power, it would spell disaster. So he told them to wait. And they waited. For ten days, they spent time together finding a replacement for Judas. If you remember, Judas betrayed Jesus, and so they had to replace him. And then they spent ten days in prayer as a gathering. And we see in Acts 1 that the church isn't just a place, but it's a movement centered around the mission of God. So that means for us that church is not about coming to a Sunday morning service. It's not about where we meet, whether it's a gym or a sanctuary. It's not about coming on Wednesday night. It's not about coming on Sunday night. It's not about coming to a place or attending an event. But for many of us, and I've got to be careful here because if I'm, if I'm not careful, it is for me too, but we look at, at coming to church as just kind of something that we do. And if I'm not careful, I look at it as oh, I'm just going to work, right? That is not what the church is. The Greek word for church is ekklesia, and I'm sure many of you have heard that word before, but it comes from um, uh, uh, two words, essentially, ek meaning out of, and kaleo means gathering. So it's, it's a gathering of called out ones. 
But somewhere along the lines, the modern church and the modern world kind of adopted the German word for church, and that is Kirche. But this is a place, Kirche, our word for church, that is a, is a gathering place, brick and mortar, a building for people to come to for religious purposes. But what I don't like about the word church, and don't worry, I'm not going to switch and, and stop calling this place a church. I'm still going to do it. But I just don't like the fact that we miss the subtle nuances and the meaning of the word ecclesia. And that we are called out ones. And so the disciples were called out ones. But what were they called out for? Acts 1.8 gives us a, a perfect kind of theme sentence, really for the entire book of Acts, but especially for the church. And I'm going to read it. You don't have to turn there unless you just really want to. Acts 1.8 says this, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. That is a perfect theme sentence for the book of Acts. Because you see, the church is centered around a mission. You guys have heard the age-old question, which comes first, the chicken or the egg? This is not one of those things. We, we have a clear-as-day description that the mission came first. And the church was formed as a way to facilitate that movement and the mission of God. I'm going to share a quote with you guys. I love this quote, but I've heard it said that God doesn't have a mission for his church. He made a church for his mission. So it's a logical deduction for us, I think. If you're not part of the mission, then you're not part of the church. But it really does kind of make you second-guess the children's saying, that, that, that cute little heresy that we teach uh, children, which, you know, I understand the point. That you need, they need to understand the church. But you, you guys remember it? Here's the church. Here's the steeple. Open the doors, and there's all the people, right? Not really totally correct there. But the disciples were captured by this movement. They submitted to the Holy Spirit's guidance. And so I want to ask us some questions. And I'm asking you, I'm asking myself as well, have you been captured by the movement? Are you operating in the power of the Holy Spirit? Because it's clear that the disciples were at this point. Are you a missionary or an imposter? Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. God, as we look at the church, as we look at the early formation of the church, I pray that you would impress upon our hearts our need to obey the word, our need to be the church that you've called us out to be. God, as we walk through this passage, I pray that you would bring understanding through your spirit. I pray that we would be diligent in, in pouring over the scriptures and studying the scriptures even in this time. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So really quickly, I'm going to set some context, and I'm going to read uh, 1 through 11 of chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, 1 through 11. You can follow along with me. just going to run through this really quickly. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they're sitting. So they're sitting, they're hanging out, they're praying, and then all of a sudden, a tornado blows through the room. Right? Papers are going everywhere. Their hair's getting all messed up. Maybe the drapes are blowing. I don't know if they had drapes back then. But a tornado comes through the room. Verse 3, And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. 
And they were all filled with the Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, other words, people who weren't Jews but then converted to Judaism, Cretans and Arabians, We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocked, saying, They are filled with new wine. So if you see the scene here, there's some things that I want to notice here. Because I think we read a passage like this and we immediately jump to the tongues part. Like we're Baptists, we don't do that. That's weird. But what I want us to notice here. This is the first time the gospel is, is publicly preached. And it's no coincidence that it's preached in multiple languages. You guys realize that? First time the gospel is preached, and it's preached in multiple languages. And not just broken languages. I'm talking that the disciples are speaking fluently. This is an act of God, a work of the Holy Spirit. And everyone was hearing in their own native language. It's no coincidence. I think that affects the way we view church. The gospel is for the nations. It's not just for us. And so it is. We see tongues of fire. We see the gospel preached by Peter. And we see 3,000 people turn from their sins to trust Jesus. And then in Acts 2, verses 42 through 47, which is our main text this morning, we really get a description of the result of the Spirit's work in the early church. We get a a picture of the first Christian church, and I want us to see that. But before we dive in this morning, I want to challenge you guys to do a bit of practical application as we move through this passage. I want you to compare and contrast our church with the church that we're getting ready to read about. And then further, I want you to think about your role in this church. So let's dive in. Verse 42 of chapter 2. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. It says devoted. This means they they gave themselves to. They abandoned themselves. They were selfless. We have to ask ourselves the questions, what are we devoted to? Is it our job? Is it our money? Our position? Our personal desires? Maybe we're devoted to the church. What are we devoted to? For these early followers, this devotion was just a response to the preaching of the gospel. Amazing things were happening. The gospel was being preached, the good news for all to hear, and it was a natural reaction to that good news. They were captured by the movement of God. In this passage, we're going to see four objects of devotion. Four objects, very simple, four objects of devotion for the early church. And the first one is this. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. Christianity is based on the teachings of God. And where do we find God's words? In the Bible. Many of you are are holding one even this morning. 
Now, he could have easily chosen to, to reveal himself in any other way. I mean, sometimes he, he revealed himself audibly, but in his sovereignty, that means that he answers to no one. He chose to reveal himself in words and books. And I'm thankful he did, because now, some 2,000 years later, we can read and reference the very word of God. And we have proof that it is, in fact, the word of God. But it's mandatory, mandatory for us as a church to be dedicated, devoted to God's word. And that's why we spend so much time in Scripture. That's why we saturate ourselves with Scripture. Because here's the thing, we don't need a better curriculum. We don't need a new Beth Moore study. We don't need another male leadership conference. What we need is the Word, the Word of God. But there's an issue. Romans 1 says that our hearts are are naturally distorted by the effects of sin. Our, Our sin really fuels the fire for us to choose self over others. And our sin causes us to to disobey God in pursuit of our own pleasure. But we have to remind ourselves that that sin drives a wedge, not only between us and God, but it puts us at odds with others. It robs our joy, and it really sentences us to destruction. And our culture tells us so many times, find truth within yourself, trust yourself. But I, I tell you what, I trust myself only in so much as to say that I'm a sinner. After that, all bets are off. I don't trust myself. I trust that I'm a sinner because the Bible tells me that I'm a sinner and because I see it every day. Deuteronomy 6, you don't have to turn there, but I'm going to read a couple of verses. I think it's so pertinent to our message this morning. But starting out in verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you, Today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. In other words, saturate yourself in the apostles' teaching, the word of God. Tattoo it on your forehead. Wear it on a bracelet. Paint it on your front doorpost if you have to. Saturate yourself in the Word of God. Just a bit of application here. Anybody seen Star Wars? Show of hands, yeah. Movies back in the 70s, yeah. Um, do you think Luke Skywalker would have been able to do the things that he did if he didn't devote himself to the teachings of the Jedi way and to, to what Yoda had to tell him? No. Do you think Daniel's son in The Karate Kid do you think he would have been able to defeat the, the Cobra people? I forget what they're called, the, the Cobra guys, if he didn't wax on and wax off with Mr. Miyagi? No, he, he wouldn't. He wouldn't have. We, in the, in the same way, have to devote ourselves to the teachings of God. So, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. Second, they devoted themselves to each other. This is tough for us to hear as Americans because we like to keep to ourselves for the most part. In other cultures, it's not like that. But they gave themselves to each other. And this is what the the true church is. It's a group of people who've not only made a covenant, an agreement between one another, but they made a covenant between one another and God to follow Jesus. And that's what the church is. But sometimes we, we treat the church like a cruise ship. If they don't stop at the right places, if the amenities aren't comfortable, 
if the food's not good, we're going to find another cruise ship to get on. But how backwards is that? When we read a text like Acts chapter 2, very, very backwards. Because you see, the church is not a cruise ship. It is a battleship. A battleship for the gospel. And once you get on, you are faithful. You are faithful. On Friday, January 20th, 1961, I wasn't born then, but uh, some of you were, and, and some of you may remember this, but JFK delivered his inauguration speech. And, and his speech was kind of the beginning of a new era in the United States, and he really sensed the weight of the moment. And he delivered a speech about the relationship between unity and power. And he said some, some really powerful things, some really applicable things for the church. He said this, United, there is little we cannot do in a host of cooperative adventures. Divided, there is little we can do. And then that's when he said his most famous line from, from that speech. And he asked the question, So, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. So let's, let's apply that to where we are here. We don't ask what the church can do for us. We ask what we can do for the church, for the kingdom of God. That's what we're called to do. They devoted themselves to each other. Number three, they devoted themselves to the presence of God. You see in this passage that we're, that we're looking at this morning, they were devoted to the breaking of bread. Communion, as we call it. We're going to celebrate that in a couple of weeks. But the Lord's table was a special time in which Jesus promised that he was going to be present in a, a very Real way. Now, certainly he's, he's present here. But Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 16, that we're participating in the presence of Christ himself when we celebrate it. You see, they came to, to church. They came together as the church expecting to be in the presence of God. Do we come to this place... Do we gather together expecting to be in the presence of God? Or do we come just to be entertained? And then this passage also says that all came upon every soul. Now, I use that word all, some, a lot, but I probably shouldn't. Because when you think about what it is, all, just that reverence, that fear, you're in awe of something. You know, maybe I get the new iPhone in January. Not that I'm looking forward to it or anything. Um, or maybe Clemson football takes the field and they're, they're playing a great game. And I'll throw that word out, awesome. And this is awesome. That's not all. That's not awesome. This, the presence of God, is awesome. And all came upon every soul in the early church. So when we meet with God, there's a, a sense of, of reverence, a sense of awe, a sense of respect for not only God, but God's Word. They were devoted to the presence of God. Lastly, number four, they were devoted to prayer. See, the early church felt a dependence on God. They prayed all the time. Somebody gets in trouble, let's pray. Somebody's scared, let's pray. Somebody needs something, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Something amazing happens, they thank God for it. It's no secret, no coincidence, I don't think, that during the ten days between when Jesus ascended to heaven and the Holy Spirit came, they prayed. 
And then what happens after that? Peter preaches his guts out. And how many people were saved? 3,000 people met Jesus. They prayed. They were devoted to prayer. I ask you, are you devoted to prayer? You simply pray nonchalantly for superficial needs? Or are you devoted to spending time with God in prayer? See, prayer is about bearing one another's burdens. It's about loving one another. It's about petitioning God on behalf of one another. Are you devoted to prayer as they were? Verse 43 continues. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. I know many of you are asking, do these things still happen? Do we see these wonders and signs? Yeah, I I think we do, but not always. In other words, if I walk in here and I see some of you on fire, I'm going to put you out, all right? If I'm in a worship service and a tornado rolls through, I'm going I'm to hit the, hit the door. I'm out of here. So yes, some of these things do still happen, but this was a special time. And these guys were given unusual abilities to authenticate the message and the movement of God. Verse 44. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. I think need is the operative word. I'm not advocating that we all kind of live in a commune and grow our own food and you know, be weird. But they were meeting each other's needs. They were caring for each other. They were bearing one another's burdens, not only spiritually, but physically. We need to do that as a church. We need to meet others' needs. If we have something that somebody else doesn't, that they need, we need to be willing. Because, I don't know about you guys, but when I see what Christ did for us, I I can't help but not be willing. That's just me. Verse 46, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Day by day, attending the temple. Could you imagine gathering together as a church on a daily basis. Some of us have a hard time making it once a week. Could you imagine day by day? But here's the thing. They were joyful. They were satisfied. Verse 47, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. See, the result of our devotion to these four things manifests itself in evangelism for us. When we do those things, when we're joyful and satisfied, when the gospel is overflowing in our hearts and it, and it spills into the lives of other people, we can't help but to share Jesus. And I know some of you are thinking to yourselves, well, you know, I'm just going to live the Christian life and then others are going to see Jesus in me. You're not Jesus. At some point, words have to be spoken. At some point, gospel has to be shared. Has to. So their actions resulted in evangelism. You see, just much much like a cold, much like strep throat, Jesus is contagious. People need to see him in our lives and not, not just here in the church gathering, not just in a church service, but people need to see him daily in the flow of everyday life. More and more were added. So I ask you in your workplace, in your school, Where you live, are others seeing Jesus? Day to day, are more 
added to the kingdom. And we have to ask ourselves that as a church, are more and more being added. So, as we conclude this morning, are you devoted? Are you devoted to the apostles' teaching? Are you devoted to each other? Are you devoted to the presence of God? Are you devoted to prayer? Are you a missionary or an imposter? In just a few minutes, we're going to have a time of invitation, and I just invite those of you who don't know Jesus, who have questions, uh, please come forward. We'd love to talk to you. I will be standing up front. David will be down here. Ask yourself what you can do for the church, not what the church can do for you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. God, I thank you for, again, the opportunity to come and and to gather together as a group of people that are the called out ones, called to a specific purpose, and that is to take the gospel to the nations. God, just thank you for the witness that we see in Acts and for the witness of Luke that we see in the gospel of Luke as he shows us who Jesus is. And then he shows us what happened as a result of what Jesus did and who he is. God, just thank you for that example in our lives. I pray that we would apply it even to this place, to First Baptist Church Suffolk, that we would apply it. And God, that we would be a part of the movement because we know that movements move. And if we're not moving, we're not in the movement. That's my prayer for all of us, that we would be part of the mission of God, that we would be missionaries, not imposters. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray this morning. Amen. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1.12, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you receive Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father. You are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to Him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where His love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you too. Come to one of our services. We worship at 8.30 and 11 on Sunday mornings. Be 
sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I can help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.